Growing up as a teenager at Pinellas Park Wesleyan Church in Pinellas Park, Florida was a blast. I'm not proud of everything that we did at church and at youth group and summer camp, uh, but the experience shaped me. And I don't know if this is confession or, or uh, I'm definitely not proud of it. So uh, let me just, you know, it's, it's here. I mean, it's on the internet. So who's going to see this, right? Um, when I was about 14, my friend used to make up different lyrics to the hymns we would sing. And there was one hymn in particular that we did an incredible injustice to. So I'm not advocating for this. And part of it was to do with the arrangement because it was bump, 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 bump. It had a real bouncy, bumpy, bumpy, bumpy kind of a feel to it. And as we looked around, um, my friends started making up new words to the hymn, they will know we are Christians by our love. And though, I guess it's guilt by association because I didn't come up with the words, but I joined right in and he would say, they will know we are Christians by our bumper stickers. They will know we are Christians if it says Rush Limbaugh on the back. And there were many variations because we sang the hymn a lot. They will know we are Christians by our suits and our ties. Uh, they will know we are Christians by how long our hair is and all tied up in the back. Like, Lots and lots of variations, and um, we meant no harm by it. We weren't trying to be heretical or disrespectful. We were just dumb 14, 15, 16-year-olds. But I think it's interesting the more I pull on this uh, thread, like my friend, who was a lot smarter than I, looked around and saw a lot of commonalities in the people, the loving, wonderful people that went to our church. And he, he noticed a lot of the externals. And it was, uh, it was like satire, I guess. And it reminds me of uh, this, this phrase that's captured my heart and my attention for probably about 10, 15 years now. And it's this phrase that I love for solid ground. We will be known for what we're for and not what we're against. And for a long time, I thought my pastor came up with this phrase, but I've since, in the past few years, Googled it, and I found out it's a Craig Groeschel thing from Life Church. Amazing. They do amazing things for the world. And uh, if you Google the phrase, you will see that hundreds of churches have actually adopted this phrase as part of their core values or one of the things that, they, that drives how they do what they do. We will be known for what we are for not what we are against. And I want to unpack that a little bit today, but I'm understanding it differently. Uh, and I want to say from the outset, this, for me, this idea of a church and a group of Jesus followers being known for what they're for and not what they're against has transformed into something completely different than just public relations. This has transformed into something completely different for me than just being attractional. And if we're just really attractive, we can keep all the things we're against and, and talk about that later. Like for me, this is really tied up in, in the life and example of Jesus. So I want to invite you to, to ponder John chapter 8, and we're going to go through the, the story uh, that, that happens in verses 1 through 11. And it picks up right here in the middle of a statement, um, but that's a conversation for another time. Verse 1 starts with, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people were gathered around him. 
and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So this story, we could talk about this for many, many weeks. There's no way to unpack all the good nuggets and and gems in here. But I wanted to point out, as Pastor Ryan taught us a couple months ago at this point, this happened at the Festival of Booths. I can't pronounce the Hebrew name. I'm not even going to do it a disjust, uh, injustice. <laughs> I've already done that enough today. The Festival of Booths was a Jewish celebration that happened where people would go to the temple, travel long distances at great expense, great effort to set up, as, as the law of Moses in, in the Old Testament said, like, come and celebrate uh, one of the harvests. And these folks would, it was like camping. They would live in little booths and, and people were from all over the place. And it was days and days of singing, days and days of telling stories, reconnecting with, with people you haven't seen, friends and family and loved ones. There was a lot of good stuff that happened. It was also days and days of drinking wine and making music and dancing and going it late into the night of telling stories and eating and probably overdoing it. Not that that was condoned, but when a bunch of people get together and there's lots of food and music and wine involved, let's just say around the time of Jesus, it wasn't it wasn't like such a far-fetched idea that someone could wind up in the wrong booth, if you know what I mean. Like this kind of thing unfortunately happened at these festival of booths. And now this was, the text tells us, this was a trap, but also this was a setup. They, these, these teachers of the law and Pharisees probably knew, they were probably watching Maybe uh, not drinking as much as everybody, keeping, like, watching out for who is going to wind up in the wrong booth. Who's laughing a little too loud at the jokes? Who is dancing a little bit more uncoordinated, so to speak? And they caught this woman in the middle of the act of adultery. And notice the setup here. Yeah, the law of Moses commanded that such a person be stoned. But where's the guy? They just brought the woman and they made her stand before the group. I mean, talk about missing the heart of God's laws, missing the heart and just going by the letter of it. 
Like for no no thought to dignity, no thought to restoration, no thought towards any of that. This person, this poor woman is just objectified, standing up there as an object lesson and as a trap to try to get Jesus to say the wrong thing so that they can accuse him. And there's there's a, a lot of um, a lot of discussion around this passage. If you're reading this in a paper Bible, it may have uh, some brackets explaining that the earliest manuscripts don't have the story here. And actually, like uh, putting it here, like the the placement, I think is interesting. That's a it's a long conversation, but I think it's interesting that this passage, this chapter, st- starts with the story where someone, where, where the teachers of the law want a woman to be stoned, and it ends with people wanting to stone Jesus. This passage, I believe, was placed here um, to show the wisdom of Jesus, to show, yes, in the Gospel of John, he is the, the word of God with, with flesh on. But also, reading through this text, a Jewish mind would also remember in, in, uh, in, the, in the book, one of the books of Kings where there was a wise king and two women lived in the same house and they both had a child at the same time and one child died and the, the women were fighting over whose baby it was and they, they came to the king. One woman said, this is my baby. The other woman says, this is my baby. This may be a refresher of some of you, for some of you, but King Solomon said, I know what to do then. Then cut the baby in half and give half to each woman. And one woman said, no, don't cut the baby in half. I would rather the baby live and go to my rival than for the baby to die. And in the wisdom of Solomon, he said, that's the real mom who would rather the baby live than, and, and go to her enemy or her rival than the child die. Jesus has a wisdom here that surpasses King Solomon. I mean, as a first century Jew, to to say like, all right, we found this person and here's what the letter of the law says. Jesus, by by normal wisdom, was trapped. There's only one answer. But time and time again, Jesus finds the third way, not just letter of the law and not just disregarding the law, but finding a way to fulfill the law without destroying people, with, with actually like this heart towards reconciliation and, and rebuilding and restoring humanity, restoring people. And I love, and this is such a lesson for us, when we feel like we're in a pickle, when we feel like someone's trying to, mm, I gotcha. I love that Jesus stoops down and writes on the ground, and pastors and theologians and commentators love to muse about what Jesus was writing in the dirt there. And there's a lot of good discussion about that. But I love just that Jesus is kind of asserting his authority. Oh, you think you got this? You want me to to kick me into fight or flight and for me to get into this kind of back and forth? And Well, you you said the law of Moses says this. Well, what about this and this and this? Just a normal human response. But I love how Jesus finds another way. I'm going to answer in my own sweet time, baby. I don't see Jesus anxious here. And then standing up saying, all right, 
Yeah, that's what the law of Moses says. So whoever has no sin can throw the first stone. What a... Talk about calling someone's bluff. <laughs> that would have taken one pebble for someone to throw before the, the whole thing was all over. But they started dropping their stones. And I love how it says the oldest dropped their stones first. Hopefully, for those of us aging a little bit, hopefully we're growing in wisdom and self-awareness. And hopefully we're growing in, a, in the awareness of how much we have been forgiven and are continually forgiven for. And that, what I want you to hear today, I want you to hear Jesus' question to this woman. Who's condemned you? I love. And by the way, in, in ancient Israel, like saying woman, that was a sign of respect. Woman, who has condemned you? Again, Jesus just raising the level of dignity, talking directly to this woman who had been caught literally in the act of adultery. Who's condemned you? I picture him saying that with a big smile on his face. Maybe you need to hear that today. Maybe you're condemning yourself. Maybe it's not religious leaders, but just the voices inside your own head and heart that condemn you. I should do this. I should be better. I need to be better. Come on. Do you, do you hear Jesus saying that? I don't condemn you. That's not Jesus' heart. For those of us who consider Jesus as the Lord of our life, if we've given control of our lives to Jesus, we need to hear this today. Somebody needs to hear this today. Neither do I condemn you. Don't miss that. And he says, go and sin no more. For those of us that consider ourselves Jesus followers, this is a significant example of how we are to live and interface and function in the world with other people. This is massive for our understanding of, of Jesus' posture that we are to emulate. And I was, I've been reading this uh, book by a pastor that says, God is like Jesus. Jesus is like God. If you want to know what God is like, we have records of, of how Jesus treated people, what Jesus taught. If we walk around with this image of God in our head, who's like a gotcha God and just waiting for us to step out of line. No, God meets us right where we are. God still has standards, make no mistake about it, but God isn't right there to just rub our nose in our mistakes. He wants to lift us up, clean us off, and, and set us on the right path away from destruction. Jesus' last words to that woman are extremely important. You know, go and sin no more. Because if she has been forgiven, like she, this woman has been rescued, like not just soul-wise and eternally thinking, like she's been rescued from imminent death by stones. So, She's got to live the rest of her life by that forgiveness. And depending on your wiring and incredibly justice-minded people, they always want to make the caveat, and I totally get that. Like, that this, this uh, that, hey, hey, he said go and sin no more. I totally agree with that. And I think a way for us to understand this is that forgiveness is not the same thing as tolerance. Being forgiven doesn't mean that sin doesn't matter. 
On the contrary, like it, it makes sin have even more weight. Forgiveness means that sin does matter. But the, the, the scandal of it is that God chooses to set that aside. Like it doesn't, it is not fair. So what does this mean for us? You know, in 2023, the rest of this year, in light of we will be known for what we're for, not for what we're against. I mean, a lot of us think like, well, there's a lot of sin out there in the world and we need to take sin seriously. I agree. But I want us to take what Jesus said about sin seriously. I want us to take what the scriptures command us to do. Like as Christians, there are a lot more things we're commanded to go out and do and participate in than the things we're supposed to abstain from because they lead to destruction. Oh my goodness, yes. But sometimes we focus in our own walk with Jesus, in our own following Jesus, we're trying to avoid all this, this list of things right here and we focus on that to the point where we ignore all these beautiful things that Jesus said we're supposed to participate in. Caring for widows and orphans. Jesus' brother says like that's religion, pure and undefiled. Loving the unlovable, working for peace, following Jesus and trusting Jesus in, in the midst of incredible, incredibly difficult circumstances. You know, followers of Jesus, our role and our responsibility is to follow Jesus, not sit in judgment over everybody else. Like, like the sin referees throwing penalty flags all over the place. You know, the Apostle Paul writes specifically to those who have given control of their life over to Jesus. In Romans chapter 2, he starts out, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for what, at whatever point you judge one another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you towards repentance. It's the goodness of God, some translations say. It's the goodness of God that leads towards repentance. And this is where we get back to the point. You know, we'll be known for what we're for, not for what we're against. So please don't misunderstand me. I'm not advocating for new programs to just make us look more attractive so that people you know, forget God's standards. I think this, this really hits home for us in our, in our posture towards the world, the culture, the people in our lives. Jesus doesn't condemn. God is the judge over all of this. And trust me, I've tried to step into that judgment seat and say, this is right, this is wrong. Like, yes, we have Jesus' standards, but it's not our it's not our role to condemn people. It is our role to discern between true and untrue, life and death. We have two paths set before us. You know, Moses says, choose life. He records God saying that. There's a, I set two paths before you. 
But it's not our role to sit back with a judgmental attitude. And I think this really is, is applicable for us on a personal level. And we get this mixed up as Jesus followers. And especially when we get together as brothers and sisters, we start holding the culture and people accountable who've never said yes to Jesus and we start lashing out at them. You don't measure up, you don't measure up. And I think Jesus, you know, in this example to the Pharisees, they knew the measurement. They said the law of Moses can, commands that we, we stone this person to death. And Jesus, by his example, he didn't say Moses was wrong. No, Jesus said, yep, that's what it says. But if you want to get serious about this, you're going to find some of those stones coming back at you because you don't measure up either. It's easy to get mixed up these days and throw punches at the wrong place. It's not about throwing punches. It's about dropping stones. So when we, when we see people, we interact with a business or Hollywood or any of the boogeymen out there, and we're like, they're not, they're not Christian. Well, they haven't said yes to Jesus. So what's our role? We love them. We engage them. We, we, we get to know them. We pray for them. And we say, you know, I'm praying for you. But we can't hold them to a standard that they never agreed to. And we continue following Jesus. And as we do, collectively, individually, People will ask, they will notice the light inside of us. They will notice, whoa, you're not in, you're hard to, you're hard to like, to box in. Like, I, I can't put you in this group or that group. Like, why is that? Because when you follow Jesus, your path doesn't fit into a right or left. It doesn't fit into the, to the, the, the world's categories because you're following Jesus. And he consistently found this wise Third way, the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. There's a counselor that, um, that I, I have a bunch of his MP3s. He was also a pastor and evangelist. He passed away a few years ago. His name is Mike Wells, just brilliant. And um, every year I listen to this story of, uh, of one time he was ministering in New York and he, he, he was friends with this former boxer who loved Jesus just passionately loved Jesus. And he was really good at evangelism, which means sharing Jesus with other people. And, and he was mentoring this kid, this, discipling this, this kid who was dealing with um, the fallout of addiction and had a really rough background. And he was interested in Jesus. And they were walking the streets of New York and this big boxer was walking along and this kid would haul off and hit him. The kid would hit a former pro boxer as hard as he could in the side of the head, in the shoulder. And Mike was like, I didn't know what was going on. And every time this boxer got hit, he would, he would put his arm around him and, and say, hey, I love you. I love you. God's working on you. The patience he, he demonstrated, Mike was like, what is going on here? And during the course of his visit to New York, this little kid gave control of his life over to Jesus. He said, I'm, I'm not gonna walk my own path. Jesus, I've come to the end of my rope, I need you. And uh, they walked out of this, this church service and it was Mike, the boxer, and this kid. And they weren't five steps outside of the church before the kid hauled off 
and hit the boxer. And before Mike could even blink, the boxer decked the kid. He said, Mike said, you've killed him. You've knocked him clean out. Why did you do that? And the boxer said, there's some things I'll take off of a non-believer. There's some things I won't take from a, uh, from a brother. And now, now please, I'm not advocating that you go out and punch everyone at your church. And I believe in nonviolent resolution to conflict and, and pursuing peace. So it's a very cartoonish, a very cartoonish um, example of the posture Jesus had. Now, Jesus, I don't think he ever knocked anyone out, cold cocked somebody. But, like, if we have the living God inside of us, the culture, the, the world, the, the news, they're doing the best they can. And they need us to not react and hit back. They need us to love and engage, still stand for truth, still speak the truth, but not to hit back. We need to get our battles straight. We need to, to, to reframe, especially as we enter into these next seasons, these next years where the culture is growing more hostile to the faith. But Jesus didn't seem too concerned by those things because his king and his kingdom were from another world. We don't, we're, not, we're not under the rule and authority of this world. Like we serve King Jesus. And this, this perspective is going to be significant for us to continually gain greater levels of understanding and to practice ourselves. So this week, I dare you to read this passage, John chapter 8. And if you're a real go-getter, you can start a little bit earlier in chapter 7, verse 52, um, and read the, all the way through verse 11. Read it two or three times a day this week. But I want you to read it slowly. Read it slow, like, and out loud. Don't just read it like we read a news article or, or a book. We're not reading this for information, but like, let this text read you as you picture it. Imagine the scenes. Imagine um, the weather. Imagine the dust on Jesus' fingers. Like All these little details, and let the story sink into you. And ask for Jesus' heart towards, towards the unlovable. Ask for Jesus' perspective on how to navigate what seems like a really complicated world that we live in. And ask Jesus to illuminate the next path for you in your, in your dealings at work, with your kids, um, in your neighborhood. And have that, that posture of Jesus. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. As we earn the right to speak into people's lives, we'll also earn the right to show them the path towards Jesus and say, leave your life of sin. It's so bad for you. Go and sin no more. Let me pray for you, and then we'll, we'll finish up our time together. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask for your wisdom today. It's really hard to follow you sometimes, and it is impossible to do without help. So God, would you please fill us with your spirit? Fill us with a, a sense of gratitude for all that you've forgiven us of and all the, all the ways that you have met us right where we are. And dear Heavenly Father, we ask that, that we would hear those words today for everyone that's feeling a sense of guilt and condemnation, anyone that's struggling with a, a hurtful habit, anyone that's struggling with a wound that they, they just can't let go of or unforgiveness. 
May we hear your words spoken over us today. I do not condemn you. And may that, that cause a change inside of our hearts that we can leave all that stuff behind. We can drop our own stones. And may we feel your, your, your forgiveness. May we feel your presence around us right now. In the mighty and strong and powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for spending some time with us. Uh, taking time out of your week, that's a big deal to us. And please let us know how you're doing. You can, you can reach out to us at sgbic.com or in the comments below or private message us. We want to know how we can pray for you. We want to know how we can celebrate with you. Uh, don't do this alone. We, we want you to, to interact and, and participate in this. So please don't hesitate to reach out. And until we're together again, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen.